Hey, I hear you guys are in a sermon series called Throwback. Uh, and uh, it's an honor. They asked me if I can bring a message uh, along, along with it. And so I want to do that today. I want to keep the series going. We're actually going to close out the series today. Are you excited to get into God's word today? Yeah. Amen. Well, we're going to go ahead and close out this series. I want to speak about an Old Testament hero. That's what the series has been about, Old Testament heroes. And it was a challenge because this series has been going on since July. <laughs> there are no more heroes left. Y'all covered all the heroes. We start talking about bad guys in the Bible. We started talking about them. But I did find one. I found one that you haven't preached about yet or haven't heard a message on yet. But I want to bring you the story of this person from a different uh, perspective. Um, because most of the time we hear about our heroes in the Bible, we only hear one side of them, and that's the good side. And I think as pastors and teachers, we do this because we want to set up people in the Bible to be aspirational. People that you can strive to be. Because you kind of have to know that it has been done before you can believe that you can do it yourself. So the Bible is full of those examples. You see people who are doing it, who have done it, and you think, man, maybe I can do it. But sometimes the people in the Bible are a little too good. And I start to think, I thought I could do it, but after hearing his whole life, I don't think I can. I think sometimes we make a mistake as preachers when we only show you the good side of their lives. We set up these heroes who are aspirational, but then unintentionally at the same time create them to be unattainable. These are people that we can never be like. So you read people in the Bible, you go, man, I can never be like that person. I can never be like that person. And I actually have someone in my life like that. I wonder if you do. Someone who's too little good of a Christian. You know what I'm saying? Like he, like he pray a little too much. You know, he, he read his Bible a little too much. You know, he fasts a little too long. You know, he, he ties a little too much. <laughs> you know, he just, he just lives his life on a whole other level. He's one of my mentors. His name is Bert. And when I was 16, 17, 17 years old, I got to meet him. And he really discipled me. And, uh, you know, he's just one of those, I've never met a Christian like him before. He would just pray all the time. Like you would just talk about the Yankees or talk about your Oklahoma team. And in the middle of it, would be like, that's true, that's true. Let's pray for them. Let's pray for them. I'm like, I don't know that this is what we, are we, are we allowed to pray for our everything? I don't know. We'd be at Applebee's. They'd just lay hands on the waiter, you know. End tip, end tip. It's not, not instead of the tip, but in addition to the tip. And I was like, I don't even know if that is a crime. I don't, she didn't ask you to, if it was okay to touch her. That was not okay, I don't think. And. But he just lived his life on such a level of faith that it really inspired me. But if I'm honest, also kind of discouraged me because I didn't think I could ever live up to that level of spiritual awareness. And one day, we were on a mission trip in Haiti. And I love Haiti. I love the Haitian people. They're some of the most intelligent people you will ever meet in the world. Most Haitians, by the time they're in third grade, speak four different languages. English, Spanish, French, and Creole. And so I learned a little bit of Creole out there. Bonjour, bienvenue, mon ami. That means God bless you, my friend. That's all I know. But if, once I know somebody's from Haiti, I say that. Then they keep talking. I'm like, it's that one sentence. That one sentence is all I got. Anyway, we were driving to minister to some people. And in the bus, he lowered the window um, because there was the people that we were going to minister to. And he starts to shout. And that was early. He starts to shout out the window. He, these people were about to minister to. He goes, God bless you. We are from America. And we come to share God's love with you. And um, I think it was just too early for all that. Because the people that he was talking to looked back, look up at the bus, and turns out the Haitians, or at least that particular group of Haitians, they don't just speak four languages, they speak five. And the fifth language, I saw them speak it right there, it was uh, sign language. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? It's talking about the kind of sign language you reserve for people who cut you off in traffic, kind of sign language. So these Haitians are speaking sign language to my pastor, my mentor. 
And I'm just ready. I got my notebook ready. I'm ready because I'm like, he's going to do something spiritual right now. He's going to cast a blessing on them. He's going to, I just know it. Just go ahead, Bert, do your thing, you know, so I can feel bad about being a Christian. And because uh, I would never respond that way. And he looks out the window and I learned something about my mentor that day. And that is that he knows sign language too. <laughs> so now I got this guy who I look up to as the epitome of Christianity speaking sign language to the people we about to preach to. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, a lot of emotions came up. But the first phrase that entered my mind was, oh, thank God. Because <laughs> if that's what a Christian is, I think I could be a Christian. Come on, somebody. I think I could be a Christian. Come on, if, if, if it's not all the time, but if it's most of the time, if, if I'm good most of the time, if I got good days and bad days, I think I could be a Christian. If I could preach this day and preach that day and preach that day, but have one bad day, I think I, think I could be a Christian. It was, I, I hate to admit it, but I was so encouraged. It's not good. You shouldn't do it. Don't take this message and go speak sign language to people. Don't do that. But I'm just saying, it felt good to know that that I could, I could live this thing out, you know? Like, because there's some people in the Bible that done some things that I've never done and I feel terrible. But then they've done other things and I'm like, well, I've never done that either. <laughs> like, I'm talking about Noah who built a boat when there was no rain. That takes a lot of faith. And I've never had the faith to build a boat when there was no rain. Never done it. But you know what else I've never done? Passed out drunk naked in front of my kids. But that's what Noah did. So you know what? I'm right there with Noah. Huh. Come on, somebody. I never had the faith to slay a giant with a stone like David did. Never. Ever. But you know what else I ain't never did? I never killed my best friend and stole his wife. Never did it. So you know what? I'm right there with David, y'all. And the good news is, so are you. And so are we. That faith is not perfection, but it's trusting in God through imperfection. It's believing. And I'm going to tell you something else. We need to hear those stories too. Because we need a faith that doesn't just excel in the victorious seasons of life. But we need a faith that we can operate in the defeats of life. When we're lost, when we're losing, when things aren't going well. We need a Bible that works then too. I can't just have a Bible that works on the good days. I can't just have a Bible that works when I'm happy. I can't just have a Bible that works when there's money in my bank account. I can't just have a Bible that works when my marriage is great. I need a Bible that works on both sides of the coin. So the man I'm going to introduce you to today, he's the only Bible hero y'all have not talked about in the last however many weeks you've been in this series. It is a guy named Elisha. 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 If I could give you one Bible trivia fact about Elisha, it would be that will give you the best idea of who he was. He was, no one in the Bible performed more miracles than Elisha, except Jesus. Now that ain't bad coming in second place to Jesus. No one, let me give you some of the miracles he performed. Healed contaminated waters, multiplied oil, prophesied pregnancy. You wanna talk about 100% satisfaction guaranteed? The baby who he prophesied to be born grew up, died, he resurrected him. <laughs> He's like, that miracle comes with a money back. Come on. I got you. I got you. I got you. 
healed leprosy, caused an entire army to go blind in one shot. An army to go blind. And that's just a few. You don't have enough time to dive into all of them. God used him powerfully, which makes the circumstances surrounding his death that much more mysterious and confusing. I asked many pastors if they could tell me how Elisha died. And men, women with Bible degrees could not recall because we have been so enamored by his life and by his victories that we miss or forget perhaps his greatest, what could be perceived as failure. Second Kings chapter 13, verse 14, the verse says, Elisha came down sick. Now let's just pause before we continue to read. So what? It's Elisha. Come on. He is not going down with a cold. You sick, bro? Lay hands on yourself. <laughs> Opening the eyes of the blind, resurrecting people. It's, you could be Tylenol for a day. <laughs> you, could be, you could be Advil. Go ahead. You could be Pepto. Lay your hand on the part of your body that hurts. You're Elisha, man. God's been using you in a powerful way your whole life. There's no way he doesn't come through for you now. Next verse. It was the sickness of which he would soon die. What? Time out. So the guy who opened the eyes of the blind, prophesied birth, resurrected baby, caused an army to go blind, uh, cured leprosy, uh, purified waters. This guy, the one who did miracles for everyone else, when he needed God to do one for him, he did not get it. Title of today's message, and when I say it, let me know if you can relate, is when God doesn't do it for you. Have you ever been there? Hmm. I uh, used to set 10 goals a year. Where are my goal setters? You started off in January, come on, with 10 pounds to lose, now you got 25. You know what I'm talking about? I used to set 10 goals a year and never accomplish one of them. So I've reset my strategy. This is a great strategy if you're looking to be successful with goal setting. I only set one a year now. And I'm crushing it. I am two for two. I've been doing it two years. and I knocked it out. Last year, the goal was to sleep eight hours. Average seven to eight hours. I was told that sleeping is healthy for you. And so... I decided I want to make that priority. And I needed help. I'm a research guy. So I went on the internet and I started looking for things that would help me sleep. And the thing that kept popping up at the top of my search was this thing called a weighted blanket. Weighted blanket. Raise your hand if you sleep with a weighted blanket. Okay? Okay. You got children sleep with weighted blanket. Okay, cool. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I Googled it. I said, why would a weighted blanket help you sleep? They said, because it reminds you of when you were in the womb. To which I thought, that seemed like a very peaceful time in my life. <laughs> I think I want to go back. <laughs> so I'm going to get this blanket. I'm going to be in the womb, and I'm going to just knock out. Sounds good. But I don't just want to buy any weighted blanket. I want to buy the best weighted blanket on the market. So I went on Amazon and uh, <laughs> found this blanket that had 43,000 reviews, five stars. That's pretty good. I don't think the Bible got 43,000 reviews. The Bible's better than the blanket, but I'm just saying. People really love this blanket. I brought two of them because I thought the reviews were just ridiculous. Go ahead. Put it on the screen. I brought two of them there. I never write reviews. Why does every review start that way? That's how you know they're fake. I never write reviews. 
but thought I should after buying two. How weighted do you want this thing to be? I haven't slept through the night for almost six years thanks to a difficult pregnancy and trained my body to only sleep a couple of hours at a time. I tried everything and I'm shocked that a weighted blanket works so magically from restless legs, insomnia, anxiety. It is an instant fix. In fact, I have it draped over me right now while I write this and it feels amazing. Like, I don't think that's the purpose of the blanket, but okay. Second review is even crazier than this one. Five stars, absolute best. This is the best purchase I've ever made. I've been an insomniac for years and never successfully been treated. Even with many doctor's appointments and medications, nothing worked. On top of that, I have RLS, restless leg syndrome. That sounds made up. I thought I'd give this blanket a try since it was weighted. Why are we putting weighted in quotations? Don't know. And when I am in pain with the nerves in my legs, can't sleep for so many reasons. I always want weight on my legs and bodies. This product is not advertised for RLS because it's made up. But it absolutely should be. Here's the part that got me, guys. I've had my blanket for three days and have been basically sleeping in a coma-like state. That's not healthy. Sounded some best sleep I've ever had. I'm, well, with reviews like that. Your boy bought two, okay? Gave one to my wife. Like, We're going to try this out. Got it. And now I'm going to tell you, I got it. Had high expectations. Had the worst night of my life. <laughs> Terrible sleep. It was the worst sleep. And I've been to missions trips. And this was the worst night of my life. First off, it's heavy. Someone might say, well, it's kind of in the name. <laughs> You did that to yourself. <laughs> no, nah, but it, they don't tell you how heavy. It's so heavy. I felt like there was like demonic weight <laughs> on me. It was so heavy. I could not move like I was in bondage. And then it was so hot under there. Oh, my goodness. It's like a 1,000 degrees under that blanket. Like I don't know science. I don't know how the ozone layer works. But that created an ozone layer. My body here could not escape. My first night I was in hot bondage. First dream I had, I was in hell. That was the first dream I had. <laughs> Woke up in the middle of the night talking about whom the sun sets free. <laughs> Get off me, devil. It's so terrible. I couldn't do it. But you know what? I'm not even mad that it didn't work. I buy things all the time that don't work. What got me mad was that it worked for 43,000 other people, but not for me. Now, that's frustrating if you've ever had that happen with shampoo. That's, that's, that's a little upsetting if you've ever had it happen with face cream. But have you ever had it happen with prayer? Huh? Where, where everyone around you got a testimony of what God did at the last deeper night and how he set them free. Now their kid comes to church and now their marriage is awesome. And you're like, but what about me? You just started coming to church. I've been here 15 years. God hasn't answered my prayer yet. Have you ever had it happen to you? Bible says it's supposed to be working. If it doesn't work for me, have you ever had that happen with fasting? When you fast, there's breakthrough. The devil, that kind of demon only leads through prayer and fasting. When you fast, there is deliverance here. And you fast for 21 days. And you don't even lose weight. <laughs> What's in the back of your mind, if we're being honest, it was like, at least maybe. <laughs> even if God don't set me free, at least maybe. I could lose a couple pounds, don't even lose weight. You ever had that happen with marriage therapy? 
Go to, go to counseling. Counseling is going to make everything better. After the first visit, y'all fighting more in the car after the first visit. I cannot believe you said that about me in front of a complete stranger. But baby, I think that's how therapy works. Shut up. Don't you talk that way ever again to me. You ever had it happen with tithing? Have you ever had it happen with church, with attendance, with reading your Bible, the things that are supposed to be promises, but they don't seem to be playing out in your life? I want to encourage you today, when God doesn't do it for you, there's three things you can do. Number one, you have to keep pounding. Somebody say, keep pounding. Second Kings chapter 13, verse 14, Elisha came down sick. It was the sickness of which he would soon die. So Jehoash, king of Israel, paid him a visit. And when he saw him, he wept openly, crying, My father, my father, chariot and horsemen of Israel. Remember that line. We're going to come back to that later. Elisha told them, Go and get a bow and some arrows. Verse 18. Now pick up the other arrows, said Elisha. And he picked them up. Then he said to the king of Israel, Pound the ground. Mm. The king struck the ground three times, but then quit. The holy man became angry with him, Elisha. And he said to him, why didn't you hit the ground five or six times? Then you would have beaten Aram until he was finished. As it is, you'll only defeat him three times. And then in the most abrupt verse ever, then Elisha died and they buried him. That's sad, man. But I got to look at Elisha's life with a, a modicum of respect because on the heels of God not answering his prayer. Now, mind you, he's a prophet. So if anybody knows that he's about to die from this sickness, it's him. And you can't tell me he didn't pray for more days and more life. But on the heels of God not answering his prayer, he somehow forged the faith to pray for someone else's. Do you have the faith to pray on the heels of a failed prayer? Elisha did. And I think that's why he's so mad at the king. Because he's thinking, if I got the faith to keep praying, you need to have the faith to keep pounding. Even if you don't see what you're supposed to be seeing. Keep pounding. Why? Because just because it hasn't happened and just because it isn't happening doesn't mean nothing will happen. You can't just judge the future based on the past at all times. I think the reason why Jehoahash stopped hitting the arrows on the ground, obviously there's a lot of theological theories as to why, but I think the most obvious is probably the correct. Nothing was happening. Elisha didn't give him more instructions. He said, take the arrow, hit the ground. So he did being obedient. Probably looked around, waited for an angel to pop out. No angel. Took another arrow, hit it. Probably waited for fire to come from the sky. No fire. Took it out, hit it. Now Elisha's not even saying nothing. Elisha's just looking at him. <laughs> so he's like, and he quits. And he quits because nothing is happening. Why? Because sometimes the most discouraging season in your life is the season when nothing is happening. Ain't that right? And I think we get frustrated because we expect the thing that we're doing to be producing now. But oftentimes, the thing that God asks you to do now is to produce something in you later. God is not trying. God is not trying to produce something in you now. He's trying to form something in you now that will produce something in you later. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you about my kids. My kids, Justice and Zane, I love them. But they're not here today, so I can put them out, you know. They're not watching online, so... I love them. My wife tells them to do three things every morning. Comb their hair, brush their teeth, and make their bed. 
comb their hair, brush their teeth, and make their bed. And every morning that they wake up, we don't just tell them to do it. We print those three things out on an index card. We laminated it and posted it to their walls. Three things. That's all your old job. Street and every morning they wake up and they're mad about it. And I don't even mind that they're mad about it. What gets me real mad is that they're surprised. <laughs> every morning, what? Brush my teeth again? Comb my hair again? Like, yeah, bro, and every day of your life. But they have a good answer for not wanting to do it. They go, but mommy, nobody's coming over today. Why I got to get dressed? Why I got to look good? Why I got to comb my hair? But nobody's coming over today. But she, they don't know. And when my, my, my wife tries to explain them, what she tries to explain to them is, uh, guys, we're not doing this for who's coming over today. We're not doing this to try and produce something in you today. You're doing this every day so that it can form within you the kind of person that is going to do something tomorrow. You got to comb your hair every day, baby. So that when you wake up late for the job interview and you leave your backpack in the car and your tie is a little messed up, you're going to show up to that job and you're going to get that job because you have combed hair. You got to be the kind of person that brushes your teeth every day, even if it don't make sense. So the one day you run over to the grocery store to pick up a box of cocoa puffs and you reach out your hand and you grab it and the moment you do, she does. She's beautiful. She reaches out her hand. She goes for the cocoa puss. You go for the cocoa puss. You look over at her and you say, hello. <laughs> and if in that moment, puppy, you did not brush your teeth, you will miss God's purpose for your life. <laughs> Gotta be the kind of person to brush your teeth. And you better learn to make your bed. Because even if she can make it past your stank breath, that marriage will not last long if you cannot make your bed. <laughs> and every wife said, Amen. <laughs> Stop putting your husband out like that. It might not make sense now. You know, obedience rarely makes sense in the moment. It doesn't make sense to be sexually pure now. You and your prime, those six-pack, that six-pack ain't going to last long. Doesn't make sense to be pure now. You got people DMing you, calling you, texting you, and nobody will know it can happen and nobody will find out. But you know when your obedience and sexual purity will make sense? When you get married. And you don't have to worry about confusing the affection of your spouse with the abuse of your ex. When that person touches you and you don't shudder because you kept yourself. Forgiving your father doesn't make sense. He never even asked for forgiveness. But you know what it will make sense? At his funeral. When you look at his body in the casket and everything that had to be said has been said. Every conversation that needed to be had was had. It'll make sense. I'm so glad I forgave him because I could not imagine having to carry this guilt and regret and this for my whole life. I'm so glad. It didn't make sense that I'm talking to somebody who is frustrated because you're always doing the right thing and it's not producing results. It's not for now. Your obedience is going to produce later. And when it does, you'll be glad you obey, you obey now. You obey now. You obey now. First thing you got to do is keep. Counting. Second thing you gotta do is keep it real. Keep it real. I'm gonna just kind of fly through this. Second Kings chapter 13, second chapter 2, verse 12. Elisha saw this and cried, saw what? Saw Elijah get taken from him, his mentor, up to heaven. My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. You remember that story? My father, my father. That was in the last passage, right? 
the author is trying to piece these two stories together. There's a connection. The, father, the horseman of Israel and Elisha saw him no more. Elijah's gone. Then he took hold of his garment, tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Why did he strike the water with it? He struck the water with it because he asked his mentor for twice his anointing. And right before Elijah was taken, Elijah actually split the water. So Elisha tries to, you know, take that anointing for a test drive. Bam. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Nothing happened. So he says it again. When he struck the water again, bam. So he didn't hit once. He hit twice. It divided to the right and the left and he crossed over. Now you know why he looked at King Jehoahash with such conviction and said keep pounding. Because he had to keep pounding himself. Until God said, what, until I see what God said, I'm going to keep being obedient. I'm going to keep worshiping. I'm going keep, to keep doing it. Keep serving God. But, but, but don't let his faith distract you from his doubt. Look what he said in verse 14. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? I love that the Bible tells us this because what it means is we have permission to bring our doubts to God. When life is not aligned with what we feel like the Lord should be doing in our life because of his promises and because of his word and because of what the pastor preached last Sunday, I'm not seeing it. God says, that's okay. You frustrated? Bring me your frustration. You mad at me? Bring me your madness. You disappointed at me? Bring me your... Have you ever read the book of Lamentations? Have you ever read the book of Job? Have you ever read some of these psalms? Some of these psalms don't even end happy. Do you know that? You got to read some of these psalms. And this was the darkest day of my life. That's the end of that psalm. That's the end of that psalm. You know why? God is trying to say, you have permission to question me. Why? And then, now, never, I know that, that might shake your theology. Because we were taught in church never to question God. But, and the reason why we would teach you that back in the day was because we thought we had to defend God. But I've learned God's a big boy. He can defend himself. Listen, bring everything you got to the Lord because God is not afraid of your authenticity. He's after it. He's after it. You know, sometimes you can come to church and it feel fake. And you can be tempted to be fake. Like, <laughs> I was messing around. I said, by a show of hands, who do you want to show up today? I don't want to do that to you. <laughs> I don't want to do that to you. But if we could raise your spiritual hand. There'll be, be a lot of invisible hands going on right now. A lot. That doesn't make you bad. Makes you human. Because we have a hard day or a tough week, you know. Some, some mornings we, we, our hair's all jacked up. Kids are fighting in the back. You know, the car won't start. And we finally get here, but you can't let, you can't stay in there. Because the moment you get out of your car, you see a people's church greeter. Good morning. You're like, put it on. Hey! Good to see you too, brother. Praise the Lord, sister. We are family. Yeah! Then you get in here, and they start playing songs that you can barely, you barely believe the lyrics. You're a good, good father. Doesn't feel that way. Lift your hands. It's not even that you're tired, it's that you barely believe it. And in that moment, if you're not careful, if you're not careful in that moment, the enemy will try and tell you, this is fake. You are fake. 
What you're doing right now, hands lifted up like that, you are so fake. You didn't want to be here today. You don't even believe those lyrics. But I just want to let you know right now that that moment of your worship is not when your worship is at its fakest. That moment is when your worship is its realest. Oh, yeah. Let me, let me display fake worship for you. I'm going to love you, Jesus, as long as my kids are good and healthy. That's when I'm going to love you. I'm going to worship you, Lord, as long as there's money in my bank account. I'm going to come to church, God, as long as I'm good and I'm married and my marriage is good. That's fake worship, a worship that is dependent on what you do for me. Can I give you an example of good worship? Even if you never answer my prayer, even if you never set me free, even if you never break my bondage, even if you don't put the money in my account, even if you never bring me my man, or bringing my girl or bringing my kids even if the doctor doesn't bring the diagnosis I worship you because you are good you are good no matter what they say no matter what the doctor says you've been good to me Lord and so I'm gonna lift my hands and it's real because it's not based on your emotions it's based on your faith it's based on your knowledge that God is good all the time and all the time somebody give God some praise Come on, stand on your feet all over this location. Stand across your feet. He's good all the time and all the time. So tell your feelings to shut up and get in place. Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, heart. Get behind me, mind. Get behind me, emotions. Life ain't perfect right now. I'm going to keep it real. But I'm also going to keep pounding, and I'm going to keep praying, and I'm going to keep praising, and I'm going to keep showing up Sunday after Sunday. And I'm going to keep singing, and I'm going to, I'm going to sing until my soul believes the lyrics on that screen. I'm going to keep singing.